So you have this bright sort of pea green algae. And then in the middle of it, these spots of sort of bright sky blue, it looks unnatural. It doesn't look like something that you see in nature. Loch Ney is dying in plain sight. In recent months, its blue water has turned a vivid green. The entire loch has been contaminated by blooms of poisonous blue-green algae. It's dangerous to anyone or anything that enters it, and Loch Ney is a source of drinking water for 40% of the North's population. Irish Times Northern editor Freya McClemens explains the impact on wildlife. The ecology is changing. You know, this isn't actually just something that it's got a bit dirty and it can be cleaned up. You can see sort of fish at the top of it struggling to breathe. You could see insects caught in it. So we know the algae is harmful to animals. But what about those who are out on the loch on a regular basis, who make their livelihood on it? Eel fisherman Jared McCourt. A wave just came up over me. I thought nothing of it. I wiped it off and went on about my business. But later that night, I started to feel unwell, between stomach cramps, like a nausea feeling, sore heads. Loch Ney is very obviously in crisis. It's a biodiversity catastrophe. But how does the water quality in other rivers and lakes in Ireland compare? Director of the Dublin City University Water Institute, Fiona Regan. There is a sad downturn in freshwater quality in Ireland. And this has been going on now for quite a number of years. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, why has the largest freshwater lake in Ireland and Britain become toxic? Freya, why is Loch Ney in the headlines now? Quite simply, pollution is killing the loch. And when you go up there, you can just see it. It's everywhere. This poisonous blue-green algae is, is just is choking the lake. And when I say choking, I mean, you can see it physically sitting sitting on top of it. But the consequences of this um, really can't be overstated. You know, there are obviously environmental consequences. There are consequences for the wildlife that live in or, or around the loch, um, for the people then who live and work around it, um, for, for drinking water. And, and one, one of the starkest things I, I think that anybody said to me when I was up there, um, Kira Laverty, who's one of the Loch Ney Rangers, and she does a lot of work with um, uh, birds, you know, and monitoring bird populations. And she just says, the ecology is changing. You know, this isn't actually just something that it's got a bit dirty and it can be cleaned up. The way that we have approached the loch and the way we have looked after it or not looked after it is actually changing the ecology of it. And that's the kind of thing that once you start to change those really complex networks, you're in a lot of trouble. And that's what we're seeing. Now, the loch is the largest freshwater lake in Ireland and also in Britain. You say there's this blue-green algae. Is it covering the entire surface of the water? So it's funny because I'd seen pictures of it and until I went up there, I wasn't really too too sure what, what I would see. And Loch Ness, I mean, people, again, that I spoke to talk about it being the heart of Northern Ireland and this sort of jewel in the centre of Northern Ireland. And it really literally is. I mean, if you look at the map of, of Ireland and if you look at the, the six counties that make up Northern Ireland, you know, Loch Ness is that big blue gap right in, in the middle. Um, and when you go up there, the first thing that you notice is it's not blue anymore, it's green. Um, and even where, so, so in some areas where, where the water maybe isn't isn't flowing as fast or without sort of getting into too much detail about water systems and, and, and th- things like this, um, 
the water from Loch Ney rivers from a, a vast area, including Cavan and Monaghan, um, flow into Loch Ney, and there's one big main river that flows out, which is the Ban, and that's the river that then goes all the way up to the Atlantic. So that's why we had problems with this at, at the Atlantic uh, beaches in sort of Port Stewart and Castle Rock um, over the summer. So, so where, where you see the, the water, we we began at uh, Tomb at Tomb Bridge, and there, there's a, 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 a canal path that runs along the side of it, and, and you can see where the water has gathered. In, at, at the lock gates and on top of it I mean I described it as this sort of clotted mess I mean it, it, it's like this kind of mush of, of algae has just gathered absolutely ever I mean covering the entire surface and you could see you could see sort of fish at the top of it struggling to breathe you could see insects caught in it and in, in, in the midst of it so it's called blue green algae um, and the bacteria is called cyanobacteria. And the really poisonous bit is the blue bit. So you have this bright sort of pea green algae. And then in the middle of it, there, there's these spots of sort of bright sky blue. And it, 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 looks very, it looks unnatural. It doesn't look like something that you see in nature. I described it as being, it's like something from a child's paint box. You know, if you were, you were dabbing bits of blue with, with, with a paintbrush. And that's, that's the really poisonous bit. But then when you walk further around the lock, and I mean, as you said, the, the lock is, it, 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 it's absolutely massive. It's something like, I think it's 26 miles by, by 12 miles. Um, and you expect, to, you, you look at the water and you expect to see water that's blue and it's, it's green. And it's the entire way through this lock. The entire lock is, is contaminated. But the other thing that you can't see when you look at the pictures of New Delhi is the smell of it. It smells absolutely terrible. And it, smel it smells like a gas leak. It smells like, like sulfur. And actually, apparently, when, when this began initially and people didn't realise what it was, they were ringing up because they thought that there, there was a gas leak. And what that is, that's the sulfur. That's, that's the, the rotting essentially, um, and this terrible, terrible smell. One of the people I spoke to up there, Peter Harper from the Loch Ness Partnership, he says, I'm almost at the stage I can't smell it anymore because I've become so used to it. But it was the first thing I noticed when we, when we got there is this terrible, terrible smell. And again, you're thinking, you know, what, what, what's this doing to the law? What's this doing to the environment? And when did it begin? When did people first start noticing it? It got particularly bad this summer. So there, there was a little bit last summer and th this has happened before. Apparently there was a big outbreak in, in 1967. Um, but really what we had this summer is we had a, a tipping point, if you like, and a whole lot of factors, mainly long term factors to do with some to do with climate change, some just to do with mis mismanagement of the environment all came together. So what, what you have, I sort of list all these these different factors and you, you have these again are all coming together. Pollution is a major, major factor. And when I say pollution, I'm talking about excess nutrients contained in the runoff from agricultural fertilizers. So essentially slurry being spread on the fields that's then running straight into into the water. And because that's that's a nutrient, that's to encourage growth that encourages growth of, of things like algae. There's also issues around poor wastewater treatment, um, septic tanks, um, which, are, which are poorly maintained. There's also climate change. So the temperature of the bottom of the lock um, has increased by one degree. So this, this summer, and you know, this is a global trend, as we know, so the, the, the water is getting, getting warmer. And we also had that wetter summer um, that we remember the nature of the Irish summer is changing. So again, all, all of these factors essentially contribute to, to, to growth. And, and the, the, final, the final factor to take into account is this invasive species called the zebra mussel. And what it does is it filters the water. So it means the water is cleaner and it means that the sunlight can penetrate um, more easily and can penetrate to further depth. And again, that's, I mean, I'm sort of thinking back to GCSE biology here, you know, basic photosynthesis, you know, light and heat 
and nutrients, they encourage growth. So, so we have these blooms, they call it, of this blue-green algae. And it's, 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 it's at such a scale. I said Peter Harper from the, the Loch Ness Partnership, who very kindly um, sh- showed us around, around the loch. He's responsible for looking after the shoreline. He says, this is the worst we have ever seen. This is off the scale. This is absolutely off the scale. And when you're up there, it's obvious. Now, the loch is an important source of drinking water for Northern Ireland. Is the algae danger to the drinking water supply? So Northern Ireland Water are really clear on this. They say that it isn't. Um, when we talk about it being a major source of Northern Ireland's drinking water, um, 40% of all drinking water that com- comes from taps in Northern Ireland comes from Loch Ney and 50% of Belfast supply. Um, so yeah, it's it's really significant. NI Water say, yeah, absolutely, the water is, is safe to drink. They say that they test it regularly that they have up, up to all of this and that that blue-green algae is one of the things that they they test for. So there's a difference between, you know, the raw water that you see in the loch and then the water that, that, that comes out of your tap. There may be a change in sort of smell or, or, or taste, but the water is, is, is completely safe. They are really clear about that. That hasn't reassured, though, a lot of people who live round round the loch. They will say very very clearly, look, we, we are worried that this is is not safe. We are concerned. They have lost confidence in the safety of the water. So people are doing things like buying drinking water. Um, there there was a, a cafe in the little village of Ballyronan, which is on on the shores of Loch Ness. You know, they've installed a, a water filter so that all the water they use is filtered. And part of that's about reassuring their customers, but also it's just that they they are they are worried because they can see this. Um. And and it, it's it's about confidence. You know, people have lost confidence in the, the, the lock water. And again, when you're there and you can see it and you can smell it, you can see why, even though Northern Ireland Water are saying this is safe, people are still worried. But, you know, sometimes it, it always strikes me that environmental issues can seem kind of abstract, you know. Um, but if people are worried about what's coming out of their taps um, and this water supplies Belfast, for example... Surely that's causing concern among people who who don't live near the lock at all, who 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 haven't seen it, don't know anything about it, but know that there could be a problem. Is there not sort of agitation about that? There was a public meeting last week in uh, in Balahi in the Seamus Heaney home place, which is near the lock. You know, people are really worried about this. People are concerned about this. And there's been a lot of media reporting around this, which has helped hi- highlight this. It's interesting, Loch Ness and, and, you know, pe- people up there made this observation. They said, you know, it's sort of a secretive place. Everybody knows it's there, but it's actually quite hard to, to access. Um, you know, you, you, you drive past it, the, the road between, the, the road from Belfast to Derry has been up, upgraded relatively recently. And there's now a new section, you sort of come down a hill and you sort of see it spread out in, in front of you. And it looks absolutely beautiful and, and shimmering. And you can't see the greenness of it at, at, at that distance, but it still feels quite far away. Um, so, so I think for a lot of people, there's a new awareness now actually about the extent to which Loch Ness affects us all. It's not just people who live near it. And, and, and again, the, the point that I was making earlier about the, the, the beaches um, on the north coast, they had to be closed for a couple of days. You know, it, it's, not, it's not safe. I mean, when this is in the water, it is not safe to go into the water. It's particularly harmful to, to wildlife. I mean, pet dogs have died because of this. So that was something, again, that was at quite a distance from Loch Ness, but it was suddenly bringing home to people um, the impact of this. I mean, the question then that flows from that is, is that going to help something get done about this? I mean, certainly there is a sense now that a lot of people are really worried about this because they, they, they just weren't, weren't aware of it. So we've an idea of the impact on people. Um, Loch Ness is, of course, extremely important for wildlife biodiversity. What impact is the toxic bloom having on wildlife? 
it's major. I, I think it's it's difficult to overstate actually. And again, to put that the importance of of Loch Ness in in terms of biodiversity, in terms of wildlife, in terms of the environment, to put that in, into context, um, all, all the sort of the official designation about you know sites of specific scientific into all of these, uh, Loch Ness has all of them. Um, you know, again, Loch Ness Partnership, just say quite simply, we, we have every designation in the book. You know, it, it just has everything. I mean, there are species of, of fish that only exist in Loch Ness. Um, major centre for over overwintering birds. And again, th- there are other factors have impacted in this in terms of climate change. But at, at one stage, they had 100,000 overwintering birds. And there's now about 35,000 a year. Um, things like the Loch Ness fly, which is a very specific species, um, which would have sort of gathered in great clouds. You, you, you don't you don't see that anymore. Um, things I mean, even from the commercial side, you know, the, there was a major commercial eel fishery in the Loch. Loch Ness eel is a protected de- designation. You know, it's it's like Parma ham or, or some, something like that. Um, so, in, in in terms of and again, the difficult with this is that once you sort of take w- one of these bits out, once you lose one of these species of fish, you know. You can't get that back, but also that then has has a knock on has a knock on effect. Um, so hu- hu- I mean hugely hugely significant, and and I think part of the problem is well you you don't know where that ends. You know it's that thing again. But once you change the ecology, it's like we're seeing with with climate change. Once you change how these things operate, h- how do you get that back? Jared McCourt, as a commercial fisherman, you're an eel fisherman. You spend a lot of time out on Loch Ness. How has the fishing season been this year? Eel fishing this year has been absolutely terrible. Um, it started off okay. It all starts off slow. But as the temperature rises in the water, it becomes better as time goes on. Unfortunately, this year, as the year went on, it got worse. Now, we have had to stop fishing uh, roughly in the middle of June. I know other eel fishermen who completely pulled the pin at the end of June. Now, July was a terrible month, and that's whenever the algae bloom really, really come to light. We have seen the algae bloom on the lock. Um, we didn't pass much remarks at the time because we hadn't been schooled on it and we hadn't been aware of... But we never seen algae bloom before, really, and we hadn't been aware of the effects that algae bloom could have. I have been holding different protests and been trying to get the general public to help out regarding the total neglect of Loch Ness. Now, Loch Ness, regarding the fishing... Um, tourism, um, health and safety, every, in all aspects, has been on the decline. There's been no investment in the southwest shore of the loch. I've been taking general members of the public out to view the neglect firsthand. And when you say neglect, and when you say you bring members of the public out, what can they see? If you're here on this end of the loch, it's an absolutely outstanding, beautiful, beautiful place, but we have no infrastructure. The River Blackwater runs all the way from Blackwater Town to Mahri, which is Mahri Country Park. And that's nine mile of river. Now, we have four villages within that river, um, including a National Trust Park. But on that whole river, there's not even a toilet in that whole area. Um, there's nowhere to board a boat. There's no jetties that's fit for purpose. And I was looking at people to see, look, this is the kind of thing that we're talking about. You know, we have no jetties to board boats. The water is absolutely disgusting. The rivers are blocked up. Fishermen can't get out of the river. Rescue services can't get in. The potential for tourism in this area is phenomenal. Unfortunately, we just can't make a a go of it because councils and management teams won't take it on. 
the level of algae this year has obviously had a massive impact on your livelihood. But earlier this month, you were sick. It's had an impact on your health. Tell me about that. Yes, well, I say, I'm going to be honest, I was like everyone else. I was a wee bit, I wasn't sure. I was, I was saying to myself, you know, because this algae is, it is as bad as everyone thinks. But just on the 13th of this month, I had a couple of people out to show them the neglect in the area. And um, I was torn in the boat. Now, as I was torn the, the boat, there was a westerly wind. And the, the stern of the boat hit the wave. And the wave just came up over me. And it was I thought nothing of it. Just a normal wave. I wiped it off and, and went on about my business. But later that night, I started to feel unwell. Uh, between stomach cramps and all the things that comes with stomach cramps, as I'm sure you can imagine. Like a nausea feeling, sore heads. And then I got talking to other people about it. And it's only whenever I, I highlighted it that other people have come forward and says, yeah, we were the same. You know, there was open water swimmers, kayakers, uh, members of the Lochney rescue team. Different different people had come across and says, yeah, we've had exactly the same symptoms after being in contact with the water. Now, it's been scientifically proven that algae does have effects on your health. But the problem is we don't really know the long-term effects. People have said, and scientists have said, that it can have effect on your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, uh, respiratory problems. Who knows what effect it's going to have on us down the line? And this is another problem with the fishermen come in Fishermen is afraid now to go into the lock because they don't know what long-term effects this algae is going to have. It mightn't have no effect exactly today, but going down the line, who knows what's going to bring up. But also, presumably, people will be reluctant to buy fish or eel that come out of the lock now if they think it's coming out of a polluted freshwater lake. Well, well, that's the thing. Um, you know, anglers, they've been advised to stop fishing and stop eating their catch. Commercially, there's still a lot of fish, which I can't understand. There's no nobody to say, yes, it's good, no, it's not good. That's the problem. There's, there's no there's nobody in place to say, to, to test the fish. And I don't believe they have a way of testing them to say it's good or bad. But why are they stopping the anglers and advising the anglers not to eat their catch, but it's okay to fish commercially? So nobody has come to you and said, you know, Gerard, the situation in the lake is desperate. You should not be fishing for eel commercially. Now, you have stopped voluntarily. You've stopped doing that during the summer, even though now you could still be fishing for eel. Last year, the year before, all your life you've been doing that. So, But nobody has said to you, no, it's dangerous? No, nobody's come to us. Now, we're aware that algae bloom is dangerous, but nobody's come forward and says um, it's not good uh, to be exporting eels that comes out of the lock. Uh, they could be poisoned, they could be this, they could be that. Nobody's come forward and says, no, you must stop. So apart from everything else, there's a reputational damage potentially with Northern Irish food exports. Personally, I think it's only a matter of time before the likes of the people that's buying the, buying the eels that's been imported into Holland. And it's only a matter of time before they catch on and they say, hold on a minute here. Your eels and your fish stocks has been affected by this algae bloom. We're not going to take the chance we're pulling the pin. Um, and that, personally, I think that'll be the end of Loch Ness Fishermen's Cooperative Society, which is which is very, very sad because livelihoods around here depend on it. Fishermen in general in this area is fishing, they know fishing and they know nothing else. And in turn, I think that's going to have a massive uh, mental impact on people. You know, everything you've ever worked for, as I said, it's a labour of love, really. But everything you've ever worked for, everything you, around you is geared for fishing. And then all of a sudden, the rug's pulled from under your feet. It's game over. Do whatever you want after that. Coming up, we'll hear about the water quality of Ireland's rivers and lakes from Fiona Regan of DCU's Water Institute and Freya McClements on the political inertia contributing to Loch Ney's decline.
Fiona Regan, you're director of DCU's Water Institute and you've been following the Loch Ness story very closely. The algae bloom that has spread across the loch is vivid evidence of pollution. But what does the data say about water quality in other rivers and lakes in Ireland? There's a, a sad downturn in freshwater quality in Ireland. Uh, and we know this from the annual EPA reports. Um, the most recent one has really shown a significant decrease uh, in, in river and lake water quality, which they link to nutrients and uh, nitrates and phosphates. And this has been going on now for quite a number of years, uh, which I would attribute, I suppose, to um, policy changes that have led to intensification of agriculture, but also the performance of our wastewater treatment plants. So there's a number of sources, which we would call point, point sources, and they are causing our surface water quality to disimprove year on year. And if I could for a moment just bring us back to what I believe is a significant reason for this, and that is the policy. Uh, we had two significant policies, FoodWise 2025 and Food Harvest 2020. And these, these are government policies. Government policies. Really important pieces of legislation which looked at growing our economy on agricultural basis. And these policies transformed how agriculture was done significantly. It meant 19 billion projected income from agriculture in a 10-year period. Something like a 50% increase in what was the outcome for 2007-2009 average. So a significant increase in outputs. These are export outputs, I should say. So how do you do that? You do that by intensification. And at the time of this policy, the environmentalists were saying, we cannot have this level of increase without knowing we are going to have nutrients in our surface waters. And we're seeing it in Loch Ney and other water bodies, coastal pollution as well, coastal eutrophication, as a result of that policy. So we have a huge blame game with, with farmers. Uh, and this is the main culprit. Agriculture is the main culprit. But I bring you back to really poor policy, which was not aligned with environmental policy at the time. And even today, environmental and agricultural policy is not uh, working together so that we can have a better environment. And I have to say there are farmers in this country who are really trying to maintain good surface water quality and they have really good initiatives where they, where they are not spreading close to water courses. They are not spreading outside of the times that they should. They are following the rules. But weather is changing because of climate change. And that was never foreseen in the policies that were brought up they were not taken into consideration at that time. So can you explain to me how does climate change compound the issue? Yes, and it really does. So uh, climate change we know is happening and the weather events that we're seeing are characteristic of, of climate change. We're getting very short bursts of rainfall after dry periods, which are, are causing runoff uh, which run off from land into surface waters. Because the soil is too hard for the rain to be absorbed into it, is that it? That is one of the reasons. So we could have a soil that is absolutely full of nutrients because they have been overloaded by fertilisers or a slurry. 
Or we could have very dry soils, as we know has happened recently. We have a very long period of dry weather and then we have very intense rainfall events. All of these, there's no one reason that we are having this runoff, these runoff events, but the climate-related weather events are certainly causing problems for us that we had not thought about uh, when we developed these policies. Imagine developing policies for that degree of export, 19 billion worth of export, and not considering the significant impact that it would have on Irish surface waters. Now, as a scientist, do you see any potential solutions to what is going on now? Absolutely. I mean, farmers are being subsidised right now. I'm not saying to give them any more money to solve the problem, but we need to subsidise them to do the right thing. And I believe farmers are really behind doing this, but they need good direction. So uh, treating their land in the right way, creating these buffer zones. Uh, You can see that you have these kind of sink ponds that are created at the edge of land close to waterways in some farms. Farmers are really eager to do the right thing. In fact, they follow the policy. And so if we have good direction and if we have the correct subsidies, we can certainly reverse. Remember, our environment has huge capacity to restore itself readily. So if we actually work together doing this collectively, there are a lot of wise people out there who know the right thing. And so we cannot have the degree of investment now in, in exports that isn't going to affect Irish watercourses. So we need to stop doing that. Farmers and farmers' organisation and the Minister for Agriculture would say that there are measures in place, that, you know, already farmers are absolutely more clued into the environmental impact of what they do. There is huge supports out there, but you're saying it's not enough. Well, it isn't enough. And we know that it's not enough because we have the kind of, as you say, the green water of Loch which is a visual reminder that we can't do this. We need to look at our forestry. We need to be planting native trees. There was a beautiful piece in the Irish Times over the weekend. I really, I think everyone should read that. We need to look at our native forest. There's huge value in that, not just in terms of planting trees that can trap carbon. That takes a long time. But the biodiversity it creates, the opportunities it creates in terms of restoring other species. So forestry has a big role to play and farmers can play a role there too. Also, other types of arable agriculture need to be considered. Recently, I bought onions, plain old onions from New Zealand. Why? I couldn't get Irish onions. So let's look at this with a kind of a practical approach. I'm not saying let's go back to the 1950s and not be forward looking, but we cannot have the level of intensification that we currently have and have good water quality. And water quality, let me remind people, is so critical. In Dublin, we take drinking water from the Liffey. All around Ireland, surface waters are our drinking water supply. The more polluted they are, the more costly they are to treat. This is a circular thing and we need to start talking about the value of water. I mean, I truly believe that farmers respond to policies. If we had good policy and good measures in place, they will follow it. I think that is that is the real key. Freya, so we know that nitrates are uh, one of the causes of the problem, a significant cause, it's thought. Have we heard from agricultural representatives in the north about it? 
Yeah, so so this is um, the, the campaigners for the lock have been very critical of of agriculture because of obviously the role that agricultural fertilizer and, and I suppose beyond that, you know, intensive farming essentially in the area around the lock because of the role that, that this has played in it. Um, and, and people have been critical of them for not coming out and speaking up for not t- talking about this. And again, when we talk about the long term causes of this, you know, p- part of this is about policies that have prioritized agriculture over over the environment. Former Northern Ireland Agriculture Minister um, Edwin Putz um, speaking on the BBC, you know, he put the emphasis very much on, on the zebra mussel rather than rather than on agriculture, which you can say, well, you you, you would expect him to, to, to do that. Um, you know, the zebra mussel undoubtedly one one factor, but again not not addressing this issue of agriculture, which has been, you know, if you if you look back at at, at the policies that have been pursued by Stormont when it was operational very much about promoting agriculture, promoting farming, um, you know, promoting that in, in intensive, intensive farming. I went to the Ulster Farmers Union, who the representative body um, for for farmers in Northern Ireland asked for for an interview. Didn't get an interview, but I put put a number of points to them, and and they they sent through a statement. The UFU deputy president John McLennan said, "Look, you know, we have been monitoring the the Loch crisis. It's heartbreaking to watch." Um, the UFU meets regularly with a range of stakeholders on water quality issues. It's now vital uh, that there's a partnership approach, including all relevant stakeholders, government departments and agencies, so we can work together to affect this, to, to address this matter um, urgently and any actions are properly resourced. And that's going to be a key point about the, the re- resourcing of this, emphasising that, you know, while certain farming practices can impact water quality, there's a significant range of schemes and regulations in place in Northern Ireland to, to, to reduce this. It's in farmers' best interest, not only for the businesses, but for their families and local communities that water is protected from harmful impacts. Um, we regularly remind our members about regulations, the need for compliances. Those who fail to comply should be dealt with appropriately because one of the things that people are saying is that it's about spreading slurry at the wrong time. It's about spreading slurry when there's about to be wet weather. And equally, when we've had an incredibly wet summer, when do the farmers spread their slurry? So so all, all, all the, these issues are in, interrelated, but it, it, it's all going to come down to, is a decision going to be made to do something about this and something about this that isn't just tokenistic. It, it, it's about because if this is going to be tackled, it's going to take major coordinated action and it's also going to need it's going to need the will and it's also going to need resourcing. The North doesn't have a functioning government. There's no minister sitting in Stormont to put in place measures or policies that might save Loch Ness. So to what extent has this been a factor? Yeah, this, this has been a huge factor. Um, and, and this this isn't, I mean, obviously, you know, the problems of the law are not new. Um, you know, the, these, it has taken, you know, as we've discussed, it's taken time and a whole load of factors to, to come together. So, you know, th- th- this is a problem that has been developing. Um, it's also a problem which which has, has been allowed to happen. Um, I mean, is is the fact that we have no government now that can take action on this is this exacerbating the crisis absolutely um i mean as you touched on at a very basic level it means that there is no one minister in place who can say right this is what we're going to do um so while the difficulties with the law go back much further than this current crisis it means that that attempting to do something about it is is much 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 more difficult and there there was a meeting at the end of last 
week, um, one of these sort of multi-agency meetings, as, as they always are, um, and there were different agencies. There was Northern Ireland Environment Agency, there was DERA, so the, the department in um, Northern Ireland is the Department of um, it's Agriculture, Environment and Rural Affairs. Um, and yeah, Northern Ireland Environment Agency, politicians, all of this, um, talk through a lot of options, sort of talk through short term, medium term, this is what we're going to do, um, plans, um, you know, essentially a, a task force has been set up, review policies, review regulations, you know, review knowledge, transition behavioural change. Um, they're looking at a target of around 10 weeks to do that, to try then and map out some some sort of way, way forward. Um, but I mean, um, Paul Donnelly, who's the head, he's the chief executive of the Northern Ireland Environment Agency, you know, warning very, very clearly, there is no quick fix to this. Um, and it's been a long take time in the making. It will take a bit of time to start. If we had ministers at Stormont, this would help because this is not going to happen quickly. So essentially, whatever plan people come up with, it is inevitably going to be hampered by lack of Stormont, lack of ministers and also lack of resources um, because Northern Ireland is also in, in the middle of this huge uh, budgetary crisis at, at the moment. But I think beyond that, there's also a question about priorities. I mean, we had the emergency meeting last week because suddenly it's obvious that there's a crisis and it's obviously that, obvious that something needs to be done, but the environment has not been prioritised Um up until this point, agricultural production has been prioritised. And I mean, one one of the things that was pointed out to me is, you know, when, when you think of the, the environment isn't even a separate department, it's not even, it doesn't even have its own ministry. It's part of the Department of Agriculture and agriculture is the senior player in, in that. Um, and that also becomes down to an awful lot of people in Northern Ireland make their, their living and their livelihood from, from agriculture. So you can understand um, why that has been promoted. Um, but the environment ha- has not been has not been prioritised. So it, it, if, if you're going to have the, the response to this is needed, that's needed, it needs to be you know, there needs to be somebody in charge, but it also needs to be, there needs to be that commitment there. There needs to be that will to it. You know, you, you need to have people, you need to have the power to hold people accountable. You need to have the power to say, this is so important. We're going to do this, um, even if it comes at a cost to farmers or whatever else. And I mean, just in terms of the, and again, the point always underlining all this is that we are hampered by the fact that there is no assembly or executive. Realistically, is probably going to take, it would take decades it's going to need a lot of money, but it also needs it needs that will and it needs that commitment. And it feels like we're in a really precarious situation at the moment. Thanks very much, Freya. Thanks, Bernice. That's it for today. For more of Freya McClement's reporting on Northern Ireland, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday.